Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 299. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. The Axon Tire, good folks over at Axon Tire, would like to give all the loyal listeners a free pair of deerskin work gloves. If you want to get those work gloves, send an email to marketing at axontire.com and they will be sure to send that over to you. Just make sure you tell them that's maybe an Iron Podcast sent you, and that's marketing at axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. Their Dealer Connect CRMI app with their integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create a connected customer experience and transform how you work today. I have... Rich Boston with me here, and he is uh, kind enough to come on and talk about once a month about what's going on in the marketplace and the economy. And Rich, I tell you what, there has been a uh, a lot of stuff going on since we talked last. Yes, indeed, <laughs> it's been very busy on the data and the news cycle and everything else. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Um, I mean, obviously, interest rates are something that's high on people's mind right now. Uh, not last week, but the week before, the CPI report came out. And showed that inflation was uh, creeping up there at about eight one eight point one percent for the year. Um, you keep kind of watching these things move around; these moving parts happen. Um, I think the one thing I want to start with first, Rich, is because it's always been such a leading indicator of where the markets or where the economy is heading as a whole, and that's gold. You take a look at what gold's been doing over the last couple of weeks here; um, it's not been responding the way you think it would be. Uh, the last CPI report came out showed inflation was going up. And the price of gold has hit a at a uh, a, a low here, um, an eight year low or something like that. 
I guess so, Rich, as you're looking at that gold, why, why is it not responding in a different fashion than what it is? Yeah, I think uh, some of it might be the interest rate side of thing that they're raising interest rates fast enough to kind of keep up with inflation. And that takes away from their point of view in terms of how to make money out of gold. If we had kept interest rates lower than this, in other words, I think you would have seen a higher uh, gold price. I think the gold market has been telling us for more than a year now that it is very feasible to beat inflation through rising interest rates. And it's just not that setup of the light like the 1970s where you could just buy gold and set on it. And 10 years later, you made a fortune out of the thing. Uh, the market has recognized it's a little bit different story this time around. We got high inflation, but there's internal things just aren't like what we've seen in the, in the 1970s. Uh, I also think on the hedge side for people in the stock market, Wall Street, whatever, they learn to invest in other commodities than gold. And then, of course, there was for a while there the Bitcoin thing, the cryptocurrency as a hedge, too. That's been blowing out of the water. and Nobody's yeah. talking about that anymore. But yeah. it's interesting, even though they got blown out of the water, they didn't flip back to gold and saying, well, I got to buy gold to hedge. I need something to hedge. They really haven't been doing it. And um, and it is interesting. My modeling over a year ago said we got to start preparing for a bear market and gold. And I was just watching last year's low. I had a double bottom there. And I just said, if it takes that out, we're on our way. Well, this year it took it out. And as of this morning, it just moved to a new low for the year. It's down nine bucks in gold right now, at least on the futures. And I think um, I, I am bearish into mid-decade for gold. And I think eventually a lot of these commodities are going to be bearish into about mid-decade to a little bit later. Uh, the question is, when do they all top? And I think some have topped, some haven't. Over in the grain sector, we can get some uh, weather issues here in next year and the following year for a cyclical crop problem that could create another uh, uprun, I suppose. But uh, when I look out to mid-late decade, I think all the agricultures and uh, and metals will, will, will be down here. This will help reduce inflation a bit, but for the producer, uh, it might shake them up a bit that prices come down faster than their input cost. So I'm not uh, I'm not an optimist when I look out into mid-decade for uh, commodities or even real estate, but I think um, and I think gold is, is just going to work lower. Now, when I say that, I think gold's worth like fourteen hundred dollars, okay, but it doesn't have to show up for a few years yet. We can have fifty to hundred dollar upswings in gold along the way. It's not going to be an easy bear market, I don't think. Um, and it looks like to me, the gold producers kind of on the same page. They're, they're willing to hedge gold and they're still willing to uh, crank out all they can uh, to produce gold there. So big disconnect for gold. It's almost like gold kind of forecast this inflation, but back in 2018 to 2019 and then said, there, I've dialed that in. It's over and done with. And uh, I suppose if, if you know, if, if two years from now, we're back at seven or eight percent inflation again. I wouldn't be surprised that would shake up gold and uh, be more bullish than I think, but I don't think that's how it's going to work. So, okay. <clears throat> so, so other thing I was going to talk to you about on this kind of the gold front too was also on the um, the real estate front. If, you, if you're looking at where we're at right now with interest rates over there, at um, uh, there's a lot of people that would be selling a home and had you know maybe 0.9 percent interest. 1.2% interest, something like that, 3% interest. And they're going to the bank now and getting some, some six plus percent interest rates on their, on their home. With you working in real estate, like you have been rich, have you noticed any kind of a slowdown there or are you seeing 
more inventory in the market now than you've seen in the past? Uh, not so sure seeing a surge in inventory. It's picking up some where people are getting nervous. They've kind of are missing out here. They recognize the higher interest rates. They're hearing on the nightly news that uh, some of these real estate numbers are coming down hard and fast here now. Uh, the home building sector, uh, some of the uh, polling of home builders is pretty pessimistic right now. Uh, I mean, the interest rates rallied enough that you know it's double, more than doubled your cost uh, to go out and borrow for a home. Um, so, but at the same time, I, I don't see this panic to sell. It's more of a worry that maybe they got to lower their price, but the demand side is definitely backed off in houses. Uh, I try to work a little more land than homes and I'm seeing pretty good solid demand for land. I'm seeing some people probably pulling money out of the stock market and trying to buy some land for a hard asset, a uh, place to go for the next, uh, disaster to hide out on. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, right. it's that that kind of mentality, and the land prices didn't shoot up anywhere as near as fast as the the home price. And then you got homes that doubled or more, and uh, land uh, here in New York, you know, land prices on average go up four and a half percent a year. Yeah, we're seeing some land up twenty or thirty percent. We're also seeing some land that's really just gone up a minor amount. So I think I think the the, the demand for land is going to hang in there for us. But as far as the homes, I want to say it's over and done with, but. I'm not hearing worries from realtors. They're just kind of acknowledging it. I mean, I did have a, a friend whose wife's in real estate and she said, he said, you know, for the last year, I didn't even see my wife. She was that busy in the real estate. She just went, 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 go, go, go. So the last 30 days, she hasn't even left the house. No appointments. And it yeah. and and, uh, and three weeks ago, I was kind of shocked. All of a sudden, it's just like, boy, the phone's not ringing, the emails aren't coming in, people aren't searching a website. What the heck's going on? However, the last two weeks, we've been running, we've been busy. Um, but uh, I do think, I think it's over for for the home uh, explosion there, uh, and I, I just see that deteriorating right into mid decade. So, gotcha. All right, <clears throat> one more thing that we're seeing a lot. In price, and we've seen uh, the price of of you know fuels come down. Whether it's <clears throat> from where they were, you know, a year ago, uh, they're still really high right now. But they're you know looking at where they're at, looking at energy rich. I mean, we've got a lot of moving parts what's going on in Europe and Russia, and getting natural gas to where it needs to go, and all these different things, and how we're getting natural gas around the world because of the, the Ukraine Russian war. I guess looking at, at energy right now, Rich, what are some of the things you're watching? What's some of the things you're paying attention to and some of the stuff that your models are saying about the price of fuels? Yeah, I think you'll uh, anytime now into February, you'll probably see the gasoline market uh, bottom and do its seasonal rally into uh, summer driving season. Wouldn't be a bit surprised the highest price, however, at least for futures, will be over and done with by uh, Memorial Day. That's kind of a little seasonal study I work with. But uh, heating oil, you know, you would think, okay, we're going into winter. That's going to be uh, buoyant here. And, uh, yeah, I can see that. But I focus more on the crude oil uh, just because I tie it into my stock market and economy and everything. And, yeah, I see that buoyant by summer, but I'm not seeing, you know, an explosive up move. I, I just don't think it's got it. But I I can be wrong. As you can see with the politics and uh, geopolitics, uh, you can see that these uh, oil companies are really holding off on purpose of uh, drilling. I mean, we hear all the political stories. Oh, we got to allow the oil companies to have more permits and more permits. They're just doing that to try to get the permits and put them in their little cookie jar 
they have enough permits to drum oil and they have the profits are huge. So they can write huge checks to these drillers and put these drillers to work. And they, and they are, it has increased, but it, it could increase much more than this. So you can see they're holding back on purpose. I just saw a study, a beautiful chart put out by someone showing diesel fuel. Uh, if you look at the profit margin for those refiners, it's 450% of the average profit margin since 2000. It's just gigantic. I mean, they're just raking in the dollars. They are holding off on production uh, more than uh, you know we would like as consumers. Uh, at the same time, they have things to back them up on that. They have issues where the supply isn't quite there the way it used to be, and things like that. And they can, you know, cite that they got all this geopolitical risk around the world and this and that. So they've come up with these reasons, but the point is they're kind of abusing those reasons and uh, abusing us as consumers. <laughs> so, and and this will this will pass. This will correct. But I must say it's holding up stronger and better than I thought. Uh, there's some things that have changed here in corporate America on the manufacturing and production of things that uh, uh, I just wonder in the next few years we may learn. A lot of these companies don't. They're just careful. I'm not trying to overproduce. And um, I and it does have something to do with the psychology and what we've experienced here with this uh, virus pandemic, the lockdown, the money printing. And uh, so my conclusion is, yeah, we're probably going to pay more at the pump come summer. I think hopefully there's a little more downside first here. And I will say with Saudi Arabia backing off on us, helping us out here, the oil market really didn't respond that well. Now, of course, then uh, Biden come out saying, well, he'll just pump more money or oil out of the reserve. And he did do a correct free market kind of attitude of saying, well, we'll refill the reserve if oil comes down to 70 bucks. So that, that kind of tells the oil companies, we will provide a floor price for you. So get out there and produce. But uh, I'm not too sure the oil company uh, cares that much about it. <laughs> so I, I, they're, they're going to drill if they want to drill. And, and the sad thing is, you know, I realize some people say, well, we shouldn't be interfering with the free market trying to actually drive energy prices down. And I'm a free marketer, but I've learned over 40 some years, there's some things in free markets that uh, aren't right. And we don't acknowledge it and admit to it. And I'm I'm in favor if your country's going in a crisis, it's okay to play games and uh, mess with the free market. And, and we should be bringing these prices down. And the thing is, inside these big businesses, they love to do what's called stock buybacks. Now, granted, this is for companies that are in the stock market. I'm not talking the private equity companies that are privately owned, uh, but they may be of the same mentality. But in the stock market, you'll get these corporate executives who say, boy, we just made a boatload of money. Instead of expanding the business, expanding production, why do that? Why not? Uh, we're comfortable here. We don't need to get any bigger. Uh, let's keep the margins up. But what do we do with all this money? Well, they do speculate in stocks, other companies, they invested here and there, paper-wise, but they also do stock buybacks. And stock buybacks help support the stock. And so in theory, they're helping investors. Bottom line is they're helping their portion of the stock market. <laughs> so it's just it's a way of converting corporate profits right into the wallet of these corporate managers and business owners. And uh, the government's looking into that. They've been talking of raising taxes on that kind of stuff because a lot of people are saying the stock market probably wouldn't even be anywhere near this high because this has been going on for 10 years now, that these buybacks are so huge, it can drive the stock market up even when the fundamentals and economies 
says it shouldn't go that high. So that's another little thorn in, in all the machine here, or however you want to look at it. So the a complication here. And, uh, and I guess what I'm trying to get at, at least on the energy sector, that supports their thinking, yeah, just put the money in our pocket and don't go out there and drill. And you and I are then stuck hostage, you know. And and I, as I let's flip over to inflation. As I said, I don't think we're in the 1970s inflation where we have seven and a half percent year after year after year after year, and and prices just double in a matter of a few years. I I think we're going to see it set back. Yes, we've seen more than seven and a half, like we saw in the 1970s. We've seen eight and a half or more, but I think it was just one surge, and it's going to back off. But I've also said I don't think it's immediately going to drop to two percent like the Fed wants. I wonder if we're even going to see 2% for years to come. I think the for the decade, the average is like 3%. Well, why is that? Well, I think it's the mentality of these corporations have changed to make sure they just don't shoot themselves in the foot, overproduce, don't sell too cheap, put a, keep a safety net. And, and this whole virus pandemic lockdown just taught everybody, hey, you got a different kind of risk you got to deal with. Be careful of um, what you know how you're how you're producing, and to me, and then that also you know the same thing for laborers. They've learned I I need a little extra buck here once in a while um, because of this risk I just learned about of things that can just blow up on us. You know, so the whole mentality is changing for the entire population here, and I think I think it's going to keep inflation up. And then and the beauty, I'm, and on one hand, I'm glad to see this because. For 10 years now, I've said we're due for a super cycle bottom inflation. We're going to see inflation rise for two, three, four decades. But I've also said I just don't see like the 1970s. I just I just don't see years on years of uh, very high inflation. But I think we're going to see somewhat. And I think we're getting a taste of that, of how these corporations are managing themselves, as well as the return of unions and people wanting a you know, the mentality's changed. Whatever we did for 40 years, we told ourselves it's okay not to get a pay raise as long as we're producing more and more. We'll make more out of our retirement account or stock investment. We'll get more bonuses. Okay. Now people woke up that they really didn't get their fair share. They should have been getting more pay raises. And uh, so, yeah, that whole 40-year trend of lower interest rates, lower inflation is over. But I don't want to scare people like some people are. I just I just don't see explosive uh, inflation. And even if we get it, the Fed has sent a message. They have to. They'll take interest rates 50% or some crazy thing if they have to is what they're telling us. So they will kill it. And that's another reason the gold market really isn't doing much. They're thinking, you know what? <laughs> Things are a little different than other years of inflation here. We can kill this. <laughs> we'll kill our right. economy. and We'll kill our economy. But And even yesterday, one of the Federal Reserve guys came out and just said, hey, we're really not seeing any evidence for doing anything on this inflation. We may have to take these interest rates much higher. So, but um, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, before we started recording, you and I were kind of talking and kicking around a couple ideas here for the show. And I brought up the fact that, you know, you take a look at a lot of these companies, these manufacturing companies, um, Ford, GM, Deers, Case, IH, uh, or CNH, I'm sorry. Um, you know, like Agco, a bunch of these different companies like that, where their stock prices are, are high and they've they've done really well through a, through the pandemic and the way it looks. Do you? And you kind of alluded to that a little bit in your in your previous statement there, but I guess, Rich, when you look at some of this stuff, do you feel like this is the new norm? That this is going to be the we're going to produce what we need to produce. We're gonna we're gonna keep 
things. I don't want to say elevated is not the right word, but we're going to, we figure out, we kind of figured out a different business model coming out of COVID um, and how things are going to work and relying on just in time, uh, you know, manufacturing is, is not something that we can totally completely um, rely on. If something crazy like this happens, like we see with COVID, do you feel like this might be the new norm that, Hey, we're going to, we're only going to produce X. And that's that's it. We're not going to try to do any more or any less than this number right here. And gracefully, I'm heading in that direction. I I don't want to because I can see some of the negative things out of that, right? But I um, I think that's probably correct. That that's that's where we're we're headed. And I can see this for industries, you know, like John Deere. They're not going to produce. Uh, as many combines as the auto industry can produce cars. It's always sure. going to be a much right. bigger bit. So to me, if I'm John Deere, and let's face it, John Deere knows more about finding data than anybody else in the entire ag industry. And this is just my opinion, observation for a few decades. But I um, I, I think they can get a better handle on saying, we're only going to sell X amount of combines. That's all there is to it. You know, that's right. it. So let's make sure we don't expand business when we just produce too much and 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 put us in a problem. If we need to expand business, we need to go find another product, something else we can create. And uh, I think they today the data is just so overwhelming here, so much of it that these companies have a better idea today how to match uh, that demand than ever. It doesn't mean they will. If you look in re- even recent years, you'd say, well, yeah, they may have known it, but they didn't really do it. Well, I think, again, I think this virus pandemic, this lockdown, uh, the supply chain crunch, um, I, I think it's taught them to take more seriously their data and more seriously their concept of, hey, let's put this free market economics to work for us in the sense of, uh, you know, just don't overproduce like we've done in the past. So, yeah, I, I think it probably is here. I, I wish I had a more detailed story for you. I think this is a story that's being written <laughs> and uh, right. and a bit different from what we're experiencing in our lifetime here. So, yep. And I'll, I'll say this: pre-COVID, um, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019, um, you were seeing. Um, inventory levels kind of hit the max on it didn't matter if you were talking about cars and trucks farm equipment um over the road semi whatever it was that you're talking about used inventory levels were high i remember reading a lot of articles about um used cars and and the how you know so many cars had been leased and they were coming back in uh, there's going to be a big wave of cars come back in from uh lease buybacks and those kind of things uh that there's going to be a huge problem when well, we hit the, you know the uh the covid issue and and now it's that stuff's kind of cleared itself out we're kind of back to an empty cupboard again and i'm kind of with you rich i think some of these manufacturers are stepping back and taking a look at why would we ever do that again to where we're at now plus with the buying public you know we're, we're looking at people that have very defined areas that they're going to stay in um and not a lot of people are going to be jumping from a <clears throat> you know a, a, a a car that they've been driving forever that's a you know a $25,000 car and somehow they're going to jump up to a $75,000 car we're not going to see that like we've seen in the past where people you know because the, the dollars have gotten so big that people are kind of in a in a box and and those consumers are going to be operating within that box because that's what they're 
that's where they're that's where they can operate at and and no matter what kind of creative financing or whatever programs come up they're still going to have to operate in that box and i'm i'm kind of with you it kind of feels like this is a new normal where we're going to continue down this path of of uh producing what we need to produce to you know hit the numbers that as much as i hate to say this wall street wants us to hit and we're going to maintain that profitability level and that that stock price where we need at so it's I don't know. There's some negatives to that, just like you said, but it just feels like everything's going down that path. Yeah. Yeah. There's a pro and con to it, but we're going to do it one way or the other, I think. (laughs) Very true. Very true. All right. Let's jump over to talk about this. You've you've watched uh, the economies around the world and what we see happening there. You know, you've got, (coughs) it's really hard to believe what you hear coming out of uh, China because typically it's not right, but you know, when you look at the stuff they have going on there with the with their inflation that they're seeing inside their country, plus you look at um, a big real estate bubble that's going to pop there, um, very similar to what we saw here in 2008. And, you know, Xi came out and had a, a nice fiery speech about how he's going to bring back everything to mainland China, that mainland China's and, and basically the Pacific area is, is, our, is our backyard. We're going to treat it like it's our backyard. Um, you see the tensions of Taiwan, you see what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. And as you look at that kind of stuff from an economic perspective, there's some big issues in, in Asia and, you know, obviously Russia and Ukraine as adding on to that, I guess, as you're looking at those economic factors over there, how much do you think that's going to affect what's going on in the world and, and how's that going to further affect the United States? Yeah. So in China, you know, obviously they're still fighting COVID and they're still willing to do lockdowns when the rest of the world kind of backed off on that. Um, and I kind of get it for their population. They're, they're scared to death. It could really turn into a disaster. But same time, it's, it's hurting their economy too. And then of course they got the real estate blow up. And, uh, and then of course we have this whole, uh, cold war trade war type development that's been going on here for a few years. Uh, where nations are trying to figure out how do they take care of themselves and produce more of themselves and buy more internally. And China has recognized this. They're trying to shift gears of uh, how do they build their own consumerism and keep their own manufacturing. But like you said, they're also looking at a region of what they want to carve out. And this is going to create some tensions for decades to come, I think, uh, that uh, we can get some wars and we can get some additional trade wars and complications here. Uh, right today, I don't see anything is ready to blow up. And people ask me all the time, well, on the stock market, you know, what if a nuclear bomb goes off in Russia, Ukraine? What if this or that? Some of these things are just too difficult to predict. And you just you just have to do the best you can of staying with the, what is what is the actual economy in your country and what is your business doing? And right at the moment, I don't see issues in the next two years that uh, the world's going to blow up somehow and the economies are just going to be horrible and the stock market's going to crash and burn. I, I can't rule it out. I mean, I, I, I'm old enough, smart enough to know that you can't predict everything. You just got to always look for it and always work at it. But the best probability is we're probably still going to be all right in the next couple of years, have a good stock market and uh, get this economy back to somewhat of a normal. So it's going to be a different normal, just as we just discussed here, what's going on in manufacturing. It's going to be a different normal. and uh, But it will be somewhat normal in the sense that the stock market will still figure out how to make a buck out of it and and move higher and the economy will hang in there and we'll ease the inflation back here a little bit. Um, but I do have... 
beauty of this modeling is it can show some of the important times during a decade when you may run into issues. And for my subscribers, at least, we'll be showing those periods of time when we do want to wonder, is something going to blow up in China that creates a contagion that hurts us? Whereas right at the moment, a lot of the China stuff is kind of contained for China. It may be impacting nearby countries a little bit through their trade, but it's not really impacting us uh, in terms of our economy and our stock market. Um, it is impacting with a strong dollar and, and the internal issues of China that we're not getting our grain exports the way we'd like. And we have to keep that. So when you get into microeconomics, you can argue that there is a, a bigger story there and it's making an impact. But on the macroeconomic side, I, I think our economy is trying to go along on its own right now and shrug off this geopolitical stuff. But um, well, you can see where a lot of fires can can show up around the world. And uh, our strong dollar, um, it's, uh, it, it's, it can actually hurt the global economy. You know, we've been taught in textbooks, well, the strong dollar ought to actually help those other countries. They can boost their exports. They can do business. But it, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm one of the few that says, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> so um, basically, uh, we're, we're hurting the global economy with higher interest rates, fighting inflation. And it's not just us. Those, there's central banks around the world doing the same thing. But our dollar is actually causing some some global issues here, and our Federal Reserve is is hurting the global economy as well as they try to uh, correct us and correct our economy and correct the inflation story. So, yeah, that's uh, I, yeah the the strong dollar when you're looking at especially this time of the year where you're going from our, our key exporting time frame between you know November, December, February, March. Time frame, we see a lot of uh, U.S. Um, exports leave as strong as is throwing uh, some wrinkles in there. So interesting, interesting times to watch, man. So, uh, Rich, I appreciate you being on the podcast. If folks want to reach out to you, get more information about what it is doing, um, talk about your podcast a little bit, uh, where's the best way to find all that information? Uh, go to criticalpointpod.com. And that's a website where I explain a bit about myself and the service. And you'll find a link there. It'll take you over to the video audio uh, podcast page. You can sign up there. There's also a sign up page right on the homepage. Uh, but I'll give you some information there. And um, and then you can uh, go to my um, Twitter account at Rich underscore Possen, uh, P-O-S-S-O-N. And, uh, and yeah, you can uh, ping me either or message me through uh, Twitter there. And you can also reach me at uh, rich at ag-financial.com. And I offer a subscription service on the economy, stock market, a little bit over in the interest rates and uh, gold market and energy. I uh, like to follow the uh, three major grains, corn, wheat, soybeans, and do a little climate research looking for some crop problems. And I'm primarily based on business cycles, which I think does a better job of at least telling us what's going on with the demand side of things uh, for our economy and uh, and some of these uh, markets. And basically, I got a near-term forecast of still higher interest rates here in the next few weeks. And I think that's going to cause some problems for the uh, stock market still, but I'm an optimist uh, next year. So take it from there. You've talked about that a little bit. When do, when do you see that? You've talked about January, February, that first quarter time frame of, of kind of seeing a, uh, the high point of, of interest rates. Are you still in that 
in that case. Yeah, <clears throat> yes, I'd like to see the free market peak out sooner than that. Now I'm not so sure, but uh, just depends how quickly they'll bring this inflation down. If we get a 7.8 percent uh, headline uh, CPI, not the core, I think we're on a way lower, but obviously lower than that would be much better evidence. There are some pretty smart people out there uh, thinking 6.8% by December. That'd be a nice drop. That would really change the attitude of the stock market. I'm not convinced it's coming that fast now. I've, I've, I've been wrong all summer thinking it's just going to crash at any moment and it just doesn't do it. So I'm kind of now saying, okay, I'd rather... Uh, be a little uh, off the mark in the sense of uh, let's take it slowly here and just assume it's not coming down as fast as we'd like. Uh, I am in agreement with some of the smarter minds out there that do see a sizable drop next year in inflation. I think we will uh, we will get it. But it's interesting. Someone uh, said they don't they see it uh, maybe six point eight in December, but by next September next year, uh, three point two or something like that. So there again, that's that oh. story how how difficult it'll be to get it down to two percent. But I think it's going to be if once the stock market wakes up, the fact that it looks like there is a downtrend. I think instead of them hoping for a crash, they're just going to say as long as it moves slowly lower, good enough, and they're just going to buy those stocks. So, so I think you'll see the stock market rally as the inflation comes down. So you can't wait for the inflation to come down a huge amount and then say buy the stock market. It's it's going to bottom ahead of this whole inflation story. It's going to bottom ahead of a lot of these economic indicators. It's going to bottom ahead of a lot of the consumers waking up because uh, consumers are far more negative than what they're actually doing in their retirement accounts for their stock market. Uh, they, too, learn that you might better hang on your stocks, even if you think the end of the world's coming, because it's just crazy how the stock market eventually goes up again. Uh, right. So it is a it is a process, and the stock market is probably going to bottom sooner, and I'm going to throw some darts here anywhere into next February or something like that, try to find another long-term uh, bottom and... Uh, uh, my gut feeling, and I'm disappointing some of my uh, friendly competitors, they're bulled up on the stock market in the sense seasonally the stock market is up well in November and December, and it's normally poor September, October. So they're looking for a turnaround of bottom right now. And my model is saying might better wait into November and see on November 2nd what the Federal Reserve does, which they should raise three quarters of a point yet again. But what's more important is what does Powell say right after the announcement of raising uh, what he says is going to be more important than the actual interest rate. So maybe we'll get something encouraging in November off the inflation report and uh, off of this interest rate stuff. But um, I got a feeling, uh, you know, at the beginning of the week, I, just, I told my subscribers, hey, we got a buy signal. I think it was on Monday. I just said, we got a buy signal for interest rates, therefore sell signal and bond prices. And I said, it's going to move to a new high for the year and it shouldn't take long. And I think if the Fed's going to raise three quarters of a point, that puts them at 4%. The 10-year Treasury note ought to go to at least, I think it should go to four and a half. And, and this morning, we just touched 4.3. So it's working. I will say it's rather fascinating. The stock market hasn't collapsed on this news, though. It's it's only come down some. I also triggered a, a little short-term sell signal in the stock market. And I don't have much proof of being right yet. But uh, we'll see what we get today because uh, the interest rates are running hot. And uh, I think they're going to put them higher right into that November uh, 2nd report. And I think this should give the stock market some more problems. I think it's going to push the dollar higher. We had a buy signal in the dollar, which the commodities, I don't know, for years I've said the dollar isn't as important to grains like everybody thinks. And I've worked in commercials and I learned that. But at the same time, this dollar is so high, it has to be important. And and we're seeing we're just seeing evidence. We're not getting any exports. 
China doesn't want to buy from us because they don't like us anymore, but they're also thinking, hey, these grains are high priced. How much can they afford in their own economy? You know, so boy, we got a lot of issues. I mean, there's little fires all over the place. And uh, uh, even if the stock market bottoms now, there's going to be plenty of headwinds for a while too, I think. But uh, but my near-term forecast is they're going to push these interest rates higher. Stock market ought to back off. And uh, and then we'll reevaluate from there. And uh, But yeah, I do think the overall process this year, and I will say the model was right. Uh, my personal investing, I didn't really keep up with the model the way I should have. I tried too many other little things there and could have benefited better. But uh, in December last year, the model said it could be down all year, even though it was favoring an early bottom. And we picked those bottoms. The market rallied nicely. And the next thing you know, it just gave up on it. And it's just because this inflation will just not die. And therefore, the interest rates just keep going higher. And we just yeah. got res- to respect that and uh, follow it the best we can. But uh, it, does, it does feel like we're going to burn through this whole process of uh, trying to peak out inflation and interest rates by the uh, first quarter of next year. It's the latest I see, and I'm hopeful it comes a little sooner. Right on. All right, let's give that podcast uh, website out one more time. <clears throat> uh, criticalpointpod.com. Right on. And find him on Twitter at Rich underscore Possum and send him an email at Rich at ag-financial.com and you can get more information from rich there so rich appreciate you being on the podcast man it's always a pleasure thank you very much right on. i'm casey seymour with moving iron podcast check me out on facebook twitter and instagram at moving iron llc moving iron uh podcast on uh, linkedin and you can find this video version of this podcast on the moving iron podcast youtube channel uh, go to moving iron llc for everything moving iron related the uh I know it sounds like it's a long ways away, but it'll be here before you know it. Moving Iron Summit, Nashville, Tennessee is coming up September 11th through the 13th. Um, Axon Tire has done something awesome where they're going to give the first 150 people uh, a $50 discount on the uh, on the uh, on the registration fee when you use Axon during your registration there. So check that out. It's well worth your time to come. Rich was a speaker last year, and uh, he had a lot of a lot of good information he gave out. So speakers like Rich will be there giving out information about you know, what they see happen in the marketplace. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Rich Possum. Smooth smart folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century.